Welcome to SNC Critical Insights. I'm Frank Aquila, and I'm here with my partner, Melissa Sawyer, who is the global head of Sullivan and Cromwell's M&A practice. As we enter the new year, Melissa and I thought it would be a good time to talk about some trends we saw in M&A in 2021 and what we expect to see going forward. Yeah, Frank, it's been a really busy year for M&A. I know for you personally and for our group here at SNC and more generally for the markets, and it doesn't look like it's slowing down in 2022. But maybe we could start by having you share the big picture a little bit. What did we see in 2021? Well, the bottom line is we saw $5.9 trillion worth of M&A deals globally in 2021. But I think to put that in context, we need to talk about two things. One is, in no year previously have we ever breached the $5 trillion mark. And we didn't just get over $5 trillion. We went over by a very significant number, almost came to $6 trillion. But the more important thing to put in context is that if you go back to the start of the pandemic in early 2020, M&A activity essentially stopped. And as companies were dealing with the dislocations of the pandemic, very little focus was on M&A. We started to see some M&A activity come back in the second half of 2021. And actually, we had a fairly decent 2020 level of activity. And that momentum carried itself into 2021. So for 2021, we had $2.5 trillion of transactions in the United States and $5.9 trillion globally. What I think is important is that we saw activity across many sectors, across many geographies. We saw a level of activity in Europe that we haven't seen in a long time. We've seen activity in Asia picking up. So that was very important. What was new to the equation were what's called SPACs, uh, hundreds of special purpose acquisition companies. They've been around for a long time, but really haven't been utilized. Many of these SPACs went public in 2020 and 2021, and they were looking for acquisition targets. And they certainly drove many of the transactions that we saw in 2021. Also, we saw And this was, I think, due to a number of factors. One is private equity funds had unprecedented amounts of equity capital to deploy, plus low interest rates allowed them to borrow even more on really good terms. So the private equity buyers were there. So really all the stars seemed to align for a tremendous amount of activity in 2021. Things slowed down a bit in the fourth quarter, so it was a good year. The one other observation I would make is that in years where we've seen a real uptick in M&A, it's been on the back of a lot of mega deals, deals above $25 billion. While we had a few of those this year, and some of them that both you and I worked on, those were not the predominant deals this year. It really was the small, mid-sized, double-digit billion-dollar deals, but not mega deals that made it a truly big year for M&A. So 2021 was 
a big year for SPACs, Melissa. You couldn't turn around with uh, seeing another SPAC deal. Do you think we're going to see SPACs? Do you think that this is a lasting phenomenon or was just something that was a fluke in 2021? I don't think that SPACs are going away entirely, but I definitely think that the pace of SPAC formation and de-SPAC transactions is going to slow down in the future. I think there are a couple of legal reasons why that's the case. SPACs are under enormous pressure from the SEC, which is closely scrutinizing their disclosures, both upon IPO of the SPAC itself, but also upon the de-SPAC transactions. I think the plaintiff's bar has also started to turn its attention to SPAC deals which may tamp down on the speed at which the deals are getting done. But I think even more important than those legal friction points for SPAC deals is the fact that SPACs of late have not proven to be a great source of new capital for private companies and their management teams. The redemption rate for SPAC deals is so high, and that is actually putting pressure on SPAC sponsors to fill funding shortfalls in SPAC deals, meaning that from a sponsor perspective, this may not be as attractive a play either. So all in all, I just think that SPACs aren't going to attract the same kind of mass appeal that we saw last summer, for example, where it seemed like every celebrity was sponsoring their own SPAC. I think there's still going to be room for some creative structuring. There will certainly be room for SPACs to be used in some circumstances, but it won't be the default. Now, another hot area in the M&A market in 2021 was what we call deconglomeratization transactions. That's quite a mouthful, but basically that refers to spinoffs and other types of divestitures from large multinational conglomerates. I think a good example of that is what we saw happen at GE. After building up tons of different verticals under Jack Welch years ago, we're now seeing them rip it all apart into separate companies. Frank, any observations about those types of deals? I think that's a good point, Melissa, because to a large extent, the conglomerates that sort of started in the 60s through the early 90s have largely fallen out of favor. And we've seen a lot of split up. Sometimes it's selling divisions, subsidiaries. Sometimes it's companies splitting into multiple pieces. But we may well be coming to the crescendo of that move away from conglomerates. And I think that what has precipitated this is two things. One is certainly the pressure by activist investors really over the last decade or so, which is you have a large company that has multiple divisions, one division that is generating a tremendous amount of cash, another division that is growing quickly, and the market really isn't giving it full valuation for either. And so if you break it into two pieces, you're going to get a better value. Or if you sell one of those pieces to another company, you're going to be able to pay down debt and maybe invest more in one of your other businesses. 
So that's been a pressure that's been there for a while, and we're seeing a lot of it. The second thing that we're seeing, and I think we saw certainly in the first half of 2020, was that companies and their boards had to focus on what they really needed in terms of their business. And some companies came to the conclusion that in times of crises, times of pressure, they couldn't focus on multiple companies, multiple businesses, that some of the smaller businesses really were truly non-core. And that's what's leading to them disposing of these businesses, demerging them, spinning them off. And on the other hand, they recognized that they needed the capital in order to build up maybe their supply chain, maybe to build up certain manufacturing or other elements closer to their consumer base. So the study and inquiry that went on quickly in 2020, I think, has led to many companies finally making some very, very significant decisions. So we saw some very big announcements in the last six months. I think we will definitely see more, but we clearly are moving away from that era of conglomeration. In some ways, the true conglomerates today are the private equity companies who have portfolio companies in a range of different industries, but they obviously have a very different investment vehicle. No, it's interesting when you talk about pulling apart big conglomerates and moving away from that era, it also brings to mind the fact that a lot of regulators around the world are cracking down on conglomerates and the notion that bigger is better They're looking not just at horizontal overlaps, but also vertical overlaps when companies are bolting on different businesses. The rhetoric has been really strongly opposed to M&A, particularly in the tech and healthcare sectors. And we've seen, for example, in the US, the FTC sending out warning letters on deals asserting that they have an open investigation against the transaction, even though the waiting period on the deal is otherwise expiring. So I think this development in the regulatory space is actually creating a lot of uncertainty for deal makers, and it's putting more pressure on parties to transactions to do advanced planning really thinking about how they're going to get the deal through the regulatory process. And that is particularly the case where there's a cross-border component that touches on regulatory regimes in a lot of different jurisdictions where there might be a need for greater coordination. And another area where we're seeing a bit of a change in M&A is ESG. And ESG has certainly been a factor in corporate governance for really the last decade, although the last few years, there's been increasing focus on it. Just so everybody is understanding, ESG considerations are environmental, social, and governance considerations. And some of those things like social and governance, any company can do to a greater or lesser extent, make changes within their own business and have an impact environmental and some other social issues are much more difficult for a business to change. And so as a result of that, 
one of the things that companies are looking at when they view M&A opportunities, whether it's divesting a business or acquiring a business, is what is going to be the ESG impact on them? And I was talking to a very well-known M&A banker the other day, and he was saying that while we've not yet gotten to the point where deals are happening exclusively for ESG considerations, every single deal he's working on, boards want to understand the ESG impact. And to the extent that there are transactions that have similar financial and similar business impacts, strategic impacts, he is seeing boards opting for deals that might otherwise be the second or third choice for them. But if they have a more positive ESG impact, those are the deals that they are going to go forward with. And I think this mirrors what we're seeing just generally in terms of proxy contests and pressure on companies to make significant changes, particularly in their environmental policies, but you know, also in their social and governance policies. This has been something that's been true really since the advent of uh, Sarbanes-Oxley. We've seen this. And we're also seeing that there are investment funds that are focused specifically on ESG, either the E or the S or the G of ESG. And we're also seeing SPACs that are specifically clean or green SPACs. And so as a result of that, I think that we are definitely going to see more and more transactions where the ESG considerations not only are going to be looked at in the boardroom, but also you're going to hear a lot more about those ESG considerations in the announcement of the deal, in the roadshows for the deal. And I think you're going to see certain companies that have very poor ESG fundamentals. I think those companies you're going to see in many cases become private companies because they're not going to be seen as being particularly good long-term investments. Well, Frank, that certainly gives us a lot to think about as we head into another busy year of M&A. And I'm looking forward to seeing lots more big deal news in the months to come. This has been SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our M&A practice, please visit us on the web at www.sulcrom.com. Thank you.